Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I have to tell you something, people. I'm really happy today because I got to wear a sweater. It has been so long since we could actually wear a sweater in the day. Occasionally at night, but I live in Burbank. So Burbank gets very hot and lately it's been very humid. But this morning I woke up, it was like 50 degrees when I looked at my phone. Joanne had to be somewhere early, so... She left and I'm like, I got these sweaters and I I feel bad because I have a shitload of sweaters and whenever I walk by, it's like, they're like, hey, can we come out and play? And I'm like, no, and not that I talk to my sweaters, but if I did, I think my sweaters wouldn't talk like that. I think my Argyles would probably have like possibly an English accent or an Ivy League accent. And I think if I had uh, my cardigans would be very firm and proper. And I think my pastel sweaters would be a little more... uh, high pitch. So I got to wear my sweaters and my guest has a sort of a sweater on today. And I got to tell you, my guest, she works all the time. And, and this is no lie. I was at the kitchen table last night and I was trying to book guests for future weeks. And Joanne was uh, watching the, the DVR and she puts on CSI cyber. And in the beginning, no, no. she didn't know who was on. And then, you know, she's like, who is he? Who is this? You know, this brunette actress. And then we can go well, wait till after the credits. So I look up and what do I see? The name Jessica Tuck. And that's who my guest is. How you doing, Jessica? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. And I'm sporting my own little sweater this morning. And I live in Santa Monica, so it's freezing there. Because you are you. The thing is, yeah, I mean, Santa Monica, even in this heat lately, you don't need air down there. Well, yeah, that's what we've always thought, that we don't need air conditioning. But I have to tell you, we broke down and got some air conditioning units, just those little ones you stick in your window last year because this, it's changing. It's changing and it's not just one week where you wish that there was, you know, a little air. Now it's it's even gotten humid in Santa Monica, so you know we're in trouble. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I, even, I, I was looking at the 10-day forecast and I'm like, you know, it's like, okay, well, today's like 67, but tomorrow's 72 and like yeah. 10 days from now, it's 75 and I'm thinking, it's going to be Thanksgiving. And it's like, you know, coming up to Thanksgiving, it's just not the same. At least we're going back east for Christmas so we can feel the cold. Lucky you. But no, but I didn't really want to go. I'll be honest. No, no I'm well, an East Coast girl myself. I am. I know you're from New York City. I am. And, you know, I just honestly, it was a thing where it's, you know, Joanne, my girlfriend moved out here a year and a half ago. And so we, two years ago, whatever, three, I don't know. We've had our Christmases. And I said, we'll go next Christmas. But I didn't think she'd take me up on it. You see? I mean, I just, I'm sitting there going, you know, I'm used to having a Christmas tree here and it's just the hassle of going back. And you know how it is going back. Yes. You know, if you hit the wrong winter, you're screwed. I mean, you have to go to, we're going to LAX, you know, and then it's you true. sit there and the flight's delayed and then you sit there and then you're grumpy and then everyone's pissed at you because they can't pick you up till later. And you're like, well, we're driving from Cherry Hill across the bridge to get you to the airport. And, but at least in New York, you could take transportation from you can take transportation yeah you got to just you know make the commitment to go for the journey and get a little weather i get seasonal lack of season depression out here like especially now it's the fall i just got off the phone with a friend of mine who's in vermont and the leaves were turning and falling off the trees and there's that great moist air that's not humid it's just like here comes the winter and things slow down it's so nice i love it i do you're right i mean i do like the fall that's my one season i've always loved and I was, before she moved out here, I was bi-coastal for like a year and a half. So I was getting the seasons. But then when you get the seasons and you go in the winter and you have to put gloves back on and yeah. you sit there and go, you like, you can't function without gloves. If you haven't worn gloves, I don't want gloves in like 15 years and it just throws you off. Well, it's true. It's true, except it helps to mark time as well. Like you were just saying, you couldn't remember whether your girlfriend had been here a year, a year and a half or whatever. Things happen here. Two years, actually. Okay, two years, you see? And these are the kind of things that women pay attention to, so careful. But but I'm out here and sometimes I'll think, now, when did that happen? And there's one big, long season. There is no marking of time with seasons. So you can't say, oh, it was cold out or there was snow or the leaves were turning. It's just one big, long, sunny day. I mean, I, I sometimes go to the movies in the middle of the day just despite the weather. Because it's too hard to be sort of cheery and sunny all the time. But this is, you know, I'm a New Yorker. So I was, I grew up and we got snow and we got rain. My daughter didn't even see snow until she was four. And one of the first things that she did, she ran out into snow to make a snow angel. And then she was freaked out because she couldn't believe how cold it was. She was like, <laughs> holy moly. I mean, I don't know whether she thought they were these like dove snowflakes or, you know, like those soap flakes out there. But um that just doesn't seem right not to no, have I, seasons. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And, and I grew up in, in New Jersey, so I know that seasons are great. Now, now you growing up in New York, did you ever think you'd be an uh, actress? I know you went, you have a degree in psychology, I believe. Yeah, psychology and philosophy from but Yale. How did, I mean, as a kid, did you want to act or how did you end up going down this long road? And you've had a very successful career. It's not like you sat there and said, I want to act. You came out to LA for two years. You didn't get crap. And then you went back. 
uh, how did I mean? How did when when did you know you wanted to act? Or as a kid, were you were you drawn to the business or what? Happened? You know, I, I wasn't drawn to the business necessarily, but I I was drawn to the release that acting provided. I I loved. I loved playing and 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 being able to sort of imagine an, an entire world for myself, not to be um, put in some kind of of box. And I I think that and I always did sort of I was in little plays and theater and stuff through school, and it wasn't until I was getting ready to graduate from college um, that I thought, wow, you know, like I can't imagine putting on a suit or something and doing a nine to five job. Like I really do love acting. I hadn't really thought of it as a career until kind of my last couple of years in college. And then I I just, I started auditioning for different drama schools and things. And although I didn't get in anywhere, you know, the Yales and the Juilliards and things, um, I was so turned on to the whole process of it. And I feel, felt like I was amongst my peeps. But you went to Yale, right? I did. I was as an undergraduate though. Okay. Um, so I, I did some theater there, but I was not in the theater department. I didn't major in theater. My father, I think would have fallen off his chair. And I mean, you know, it's just like, <laughs> this was like his daughter as an actress after he was, you know, putting me through college. I think that was not his ideal and for the, me. And the school we, you're going through. And the school that I'm going like... to and everything. You know, I think he just sort of thought, he, you know, I had always heard, oh, you'd make such a great lawyer. Um, and I think that's because I had such good arguments with him. I brought up such good points. Who knows? In any case, I don't think that the acting life was what he wanted for me. And not because he didn't have respect for it. He loved it. And he himself was a big entertainer, you know, on his, but he was also a lawyer. And I think the stability of a quote unquote regular job is what he wanted for me. And so I think it scared him that I was going to sort of launch off and be an artist. And I think that he continued to be fearful of that as I was waiting on tables and all the rest of it until I got my first um, job on One Life to Live, which was a soap opera. Um, and that was that in New York? And that was in New York. So- and at a time when sort of, you know, the Luke and Laura era, just after that, when soap operas were actually like a pretty hey, the, legitimate job. You have to tell me. I mean, I mean, I remember being in college and we had an intramural football team. And for like games, if the game was like at five o'clock, we'd be so like, okay, well, General Hospital's on at three. Yeah. And we'd all be like, there'd be like seven of us in my friend <laughs> Randy Schindel's room. And he'd have this TV and we'd be crunched in and we'd be like, come on. You know, and, and everyone's like, what's wrong with you guys? Aren't you going to go play football? We're like, it's Luke and Laura, It's Luke man. and Laura. Same thing with us. I mean, I remember during the summers with my friends, we would come in, everybody, no matter what they were doing, everybody would come in and watch, you know, all crowd around the little TV, watch Luke and Laura. And um, so it's crazy. I mean, at the time, I did not think when I was watching Luke and Laura that I would potentially end up on a soap myself. But um, it wasn't that much long after that that I I did. And uh, it was a grown-up, legitimate job. I was paying my rent. I didn't have to have a, a second job right. to do that. And uh, and I and I think my father thought, huh, all right, well, it seems to me like this, this is going to stick. And he was unbelievably supportive. I mean, I think really his trepidation came in, as I said, just in terms of stability. Um, so... And that was that was the beginning. That was the you know. Yeah. How did how did it go from you you know waiting tables to then getting a job as you said? And soap operas were I mean, megastars. I mean the yeah. Susan Lucci's you know all the people. I mean you would sit there the the you know days of our lives. I think at Bo Brady and right, Patch right. Yeah, yeah. and all those guys. And I mean how did it come about that you got the audition and were you nervous? I mean had you been working? I mean you. You know, I had done a ton of um, independent films and, you know, student films all at NYU. I I had been doing a lot of that kind of stuff um, through backstage without an agent. I would just sort of self-submit. And then um, back in those days, uh, you could actually get into agent's office. I I actually um, put together little packages of my, my resume and you know, a VHS tape right. of stuff uh, I had I done. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, there was no internet or any of that kind of thing. So I would mar- I would march it into offices, like little baskets with baked goods and like, here I am. And literally through that kind of um, barging into offices and leaving it with the reception, I got a few auditions for agents. Um, and uh, the... Um, Nancy at Carson Adler uh, agency was my first agent, um, and uh, they just auditioned me in their 
office. You sit there and you do a a, um, a monologue, right? And two contrasting monologues. And they thought, okay, well, we'll we'll try you out. And they started sending me out on auditions. I think the the guiding light was my first job, and I was an extra. So they wanted you to be. They were trying to target you for soaps, or they just... yeah. Well, because back then, really in New York, there wasn't much TV. There were soap operas, and then there was a little. Um, there, well, there was a ton of theater, right? There was theater and soap operas, but really the only TV, there really wasn't much else. Uh, so that was sort of the way to get started was in in soaps. Isn't it weird how the uh, the other, like to get an agent, how it's changed? And I think it's just now, like you can just send a video. And, and, and the thing is, people don't know is these videos can be like totally doctored. I mean, oh, yeah. it's like if you oh, do yeah. comedy, if you want to be a comedic monologue, you can be on a stage and you could be dying, but you can with the way you can do computers now, you can build in the lab track. Yeah. And then people aren't prepared when they go for an audition because they're not, they didn't audition because it used to be the agents needed you to audition, as you yeah, said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just funny now because it's like people are just so green when they do it and because you can send anything on the internet. And yeah, it, it's it's absolutely true. And there's that you really had to know your stuff because you had to walk into those offices and there you were right in front of them. I mean, it also meant that they had a much more personal relationship with you because it wasn't all done through internet and digital and all that stuff. You had to really be there in person with them. And also, I mean, I sort of failed the first time I, I went in an audition for them. They said my audition was great, but that I didn't present myself well. I went in dressed like a mime. I thought that, you know, like, no, I'm not, I'm not joking. Seriously. No face paint. No, no face paint. But I mean, I was dressed completely in black because when I auditioned for Juilliard, they had said, tie your hair back, dress completely in black. You know, they didn't want to have anything disturbing the work you were going to present for them. So I just sort of assumed, well, that's what I should do when I audition for agents. I should come in as a blank slate. But they were like, wow, you just, you kind of look shabby. Like, you know, like, where are you? And so I had to come back. Um, and actually, I said, Carson Adler, I was with Brett Adams. I'm like, I'm such a, welcome to menopause. This is what happens. I was the Brett Adams agent. But Brett Adams didn't think, he didn't get me. Like, he just was like, hmm, I don't know about that. So I had to come back in having done my hair and my makeup and in an audition outfit, like, Present yourself as you would at an interview. And, you know, I grew up with five brothers. And so combing my hair, that was like about the extent of my knowing how to take care of myself. I had to go and ask girlfriends. They went shopping with me and I learned how to do makeup. <laughs> I mean, I was really, I was, I was pretty green. I was as green as they get. But, um, and so I had to learn how to do all of that. And then I went back in and I didn't even have to read. All I had to do was sort of sit down and pretend to have an interview. Um, so that was ultimately what clinched it. And then uh, they sent me out. As I said, the first job I got was for an extra role on um, Guiding Light. And this is actually very funny. You would get featured if you would smoke a cigarette. Because obviously, you can't, can you even smoke a cigarette on TV anymore? I don't know. You know, I, I maybe in movies. I don't know. Maybe in movies. But all of a sudden, I'm thinking now, like, huh. Like Because I certainly know you don't smoke cigarettes on soap sets anymore but it was like we were at a bar somewhere and and they needed somebody to smoke a cigarette and be and they would become a featured extra and i was like oh my god but i can't i mean i i'm just could never so i'm like (laughs) i'm a coughing smoker so i felt like i'd missed my big chance but then the second audition they got me after that was for this role of megan on one life to live and i was so green that i didn't even know to be nervous you know, it was like I went in and I was more myself than I, I think, ever was for a long time after that. Like, I totally trusted myself, didn't second guess what I was doing, went in, had a great time, had really great chemistry with um, James DePiva, who was playing Max at the time. And Peter Brinkerhoff um, was the director who directed my audition. And I just, you know, sometimes you have those auditions where it's like a when you catch a wave when you're body surfing, like, you know... Like if you just kick just the right way, you're going to, you're going to land that one on the beach. You know, you can feel that you're catching the wave, right? I just, that's what it felt like. And then I got the role and was terrified. I thought, oh my God, what have I done? I've totally fooled them into thinking I know what I'm doing. That's crazy. (laughs) Now, now what's it like? Cause you have the role and I always say, you know, back, you know, in the late eighties, there was not a lot of TV channels. And there was some, but like we, I think no, we, four. I think there was MTV. ABC, yeah. CBS, and NBC. I think we started at MTV. I, I'm trying right. to think. Oh back. yeah, MTV. There was, but, yeah. But okay, so and soap operas were so huge. So your life must have drastically changed just in the fact that soap opera fans 
are insane. Like I had Tal Penglis yeah. on the show and yeah, Tal yeah. has such a following, like every 60 year old lady in America loved me when I posted yeah. Tal was on my show. They, they have this following. So you're a young girl. Yeah. You're in New York. You're green. I mean, totally. you know, I mean like, and you're in this role. I mean, it must've just been crazy. It must've been crazy because people must've just started recognizing you. Two weeks after you start working, you know, your sh- the show airs and I, it was a little freaky because at first I didn't really know what was happening. Uh, but you're in their living rooms every single day. I mean, you sneeze and you, you know, not much happens on a, on a soap opera, right? Day to day. But so they feel like they're with you and that you are those people. And so, and in New York, everybody's walking around. So you're, you're out there with everybody. You're not locked in your car. And I mean, I had people coming up to me all the time and it was both sort of thrilling and unbelievably disconcerting to have your anonymity just sort of disappear overnight. I mean, and that's an exaggeration. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, no, everybody, but, but, but you know, it is, it's, it's a big but, change, but it was a big change, especially back then, because as you say, there wasn't as much content on television. And because, you know, there weren't, didn't, people didn't fast forward through shows and all that sort of stuff that, you know, people watched soaps. There wasn't much else on during the day. And, you know, daytime subsidized all of nighttime back then in terms of the money it made. I mean, it really was like a, a big force. It was and so giant. It was giant. I mean, um, Wayne Gretzky was a huge fan of our show. A lot of um, like uh, professional athletes watched the show. People, for whatever reason, always in airports, all of the people that worked in airports, the, you know, everybody, you know, you would get recognized by the oddest, you know. Well, I think also what it was is because, you know, we didn't have the internet then. So when you're yeah. sitting there, you know, in the middle of the day, what else is there? There wasn't even big talk shows. I, I can't even remember what was on. I just know there were soap operas. And that was something, yeah. like, if you're in college and you don't have a class in the afternoon, yeah, you know, what you do? Soaps. We can go down and have coffee and smoke a cigarette, or we can yeah. just hang out in a dorm room and watch this between classes. And I think it was, you're right, you just, it was something, that's why they were called soap operas. I mean, we yeah. just, we were attached to it. So, I mean, I'm just thinking for you, it must have been crazy. Just It was crazy, although there also was this unbelievable, fantastic I mean, lots of different fantastic things about it. But one of the things with, that was great about being recognized in that way is that all of a sudden I had sort of a, a platform and AIDS and the environment were the two causes for me back then that I felt really strongly about. And so I could do fundraisers and, 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 and you know, create like meetings or things. And I had a draw by the mere fact that I happened to my my job was on television, right? I, it's no more important. In fact, not as important as our teachers and the the people, you know, doctors and people that really like really do some amazing things. But I just happened to be visible, and so it gave me a platform, and and that was something that was really empowering and wonderful, and that I really enjoyed being able to make a difference in that way. And um, I mean, I think that that's something. Obviously, that celebrities these days they 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 really can have a voice and and can really make a difference and it's a big responsibility too. So um, I think that when they don't take care to use that platform carefully, I think it can go in the opposite direction as well. But back then, not, aside from just being recognized, just walking down the street, oh hi, how are you doing? And then them thinking that I was actually that person. I mean, right. when my character started dying. Everybody was so concerned because it was during the winter. People were like, you get yourself inside and oh my God, you're going to be... And I actually had a woman, you know, my character ultimately died from the complications of lupus and she had sent me a book she had written on lupus and the card started off, you know, I'm so sorry that you're going through this and I hope very much that this book can help you, you know, Godspeed. And, and I thought, this is amazing. Like this is a woman who wrote a book on lupus, but is she writing to me or to my character and does she understand that I'm not dying like I'm okay shows you're a good actress (laughs) well you know I think because we were in people's living rooms every single day I mean you would wake up and you'd see your soap right and not much it it felt like they had sort of gone to sleep the people on the soap and they didn't do anything until you came back to visit them the next morning because you know the storylines traveled pretty slowly so you did kind of have this connection to them and I think soap opera um, personalities were much more accessible um, than sometimes, uh, you know, celebrities are these days. Because I, I felt like there were always all sorts of conventions and luncheons and things going on and lots of soap magazines. And so I think people really did feel that they 
knew you in a in a certain intimate way. Um, so I mean, it was it was thrilling and a big responsibility and a big change. I did. I mean, I was a little weird. I used to wear wigs. Um, I had this whole thing of wigs that I used to wear when I left the studio sometimes because I didn't want to be recognized. Right. Um, because it, I, having grown up in New York City, I really love talking to people and and getting into conversations with random individuals and learning about people's lives. And when you're somebody that's recognized from television, when they recognize you, they then impose on you all sorts of things that they think that you are, and and you don't get to engage in the same way. You don't get the right, yeah. You don't get the normal um, conversation. You don't get they, the normal they, conversation. They, they don't know if you're you or the character. Or the character. And you know what? I understand that because I I do it myself. You can't help it, right? You see someone, and right away we all start a narrative for that person, even if they're not a celebrity. You meet somebody, and all of a sudden you take them in, and you say, oh, this, this, this about you. There you are, Steve, with your brown sweater on today. I'm very, very <laughs> right, just, and, and and I listened to you describe all your different sweaters, and yet you chose the first one out of the thing was a brown sweater, and I thought, where is that? Where is that little English speaking argyle, right? But <laughs> I create a narrative even about your sweater. I mean, we, I think it's natural; it's what we all do. But I think when you're a celebrity, there's stuff that comes with you before you even met the person. Oh yeah, and I always think also what's funny is I always talk about this, and through interviewing a lot of people who are, you know actors who are, have yeah. had great careers, which, I mean, honestly, most all, I can say actually all of them have been very, very nice. And I think they'll also people get that misconception that they're going to be jerks. Yeah. And, and I think what happens also is a lot of times is if it's like someone, let's say I became a big celebrity and someone I knew who I really didn't like, the guy never really called me, you know, I, and no big thing. That's what it is. But then all of a sudden, because they know you a little bit and they, they call you down the road when you're a celebrity and you don't respond to the call, they go, oh, that guy's a jerk. I know him back when. It's like, well, no, I, you, you didn't call me then. And I think that happens a lot. I think people do misinterpret. It's like, you know, and why would I talk to you now? I didn't, you know, you didn't, you didn't talk to me when I was a nobody. You know, I, I think that happens. And I think people do misinterpret a celebrity. I think they do treat them differently because they don't, they don't know how to treat them. And we're, we live in LA, so we're used to seeing it. Yeah. But, you know, if, you know, if it's someone from the Midwest is visiting, it's, I mean, it's huge to them and they don't know how to treat them. And I think it's, it's hard for someone who does get noticed, especially as I said, soap opera fans are very, very vapid. They, they know everything yeah. they must. And plus you were young. It must've been hard for you. Yeah. You know, it, it was hard, and, and yet it was a an amazing first job to have because I will say that I have gone back to soaps all along the way. Even when I left um, One Life to Live, I went back sort of once a year or every once in a while. Um, they would have me come and be a, an angel or some odd, they'd find so, some so, weird reason. So your to bring character, my character died. And my then... character died, and then she'd come back as an angel <laughs> or as like an, some kind of fantasy. And, and the great thing about it was that it would give me a free trip to New York. I could visit all of my family, and I could reconnect with the people that I began with. I mean, what I love, love, love about soap operas is everybody flies by the seat of their pants. There is no time for anyone to have some kind of diva fit and sit in their dressing room. I mean, you know, the actors are working. With, you shoot everything, like, all at once. If you and I are in a scene together, it's not like they put your camera over here and we shoot your side of things and then we turn around and we get my side of things. We shoot the entire conversation real time all at once. And so you have to be in this sort of beautiful dance with the cameraman. I mean, there were times and the cameras were on pedestals so they could slide around the floor so that they could they could literally move. If you didn't hit your mark exactly right, they could move to capture you. But you would have this sort of communication with the cameraman as as you were acting. You would have a conversation that sort of kept you all kind of moving forward and in line. And then they're editing in the booth all at the same time. I mean, it's all this beautiful dance, which I loved. It really felt like a big family. Um, and the same goes for the fans. They take it really seriously, but they also, they take care of you too. I mean, through the years, I've always had such nice fan mail and support from the fan base that began at One Life to Live. I mean, they're very, very loyal as well. And that's nice. I mean, I feel like I started in, with a family that has traveled with me through the last, I don't know, 30 years, right? I mean, it's, uh, so it was a great gift. It was a huge adjustment, but a, a, a good problem to have, put it that way. Now, when you die. 
How would I die? Yeah. Now, did all of a, is that when you decided you're going to move to New York or how, I mean, to LA or how did that process start? Well, the process started because my contract was coming up and I thought, wow, I could stay here forever. Like I could see myself because this is such a great job. But if I did that, I think I would be thinking in my head, well, what if and all this other thing. So I thought I, I really want to try something else. I don't in any way think I'm above the soap. I love it. I love it. And but I need to be brave. So I said, at the end of my contract, I'm going, I'm not going to renew. And so they, they asked me actually to extend a, a tiny bit so they could then do that sort of Scheherazade, as they called that storyline at the end, where they revisited, I died, and then everybody came and sort of told stories about their time with me. And then they would show flashbacks of shows going way, way back for the last, you know, three years or whatever. Um, so it started because I said I wasn't going to um, renew my contract. And so they decided to have my character die. And, and then I did leave New York shortly thereafter because I sort of felt like LA was the place to come to sort of spread my wings and check things out. <laughs> One little snafu was that I really am a true New Yorker and I did not know how to drive. So I had to learn to drive. It's <laughs> so funny because my girlfriend growing up in New Jersey, doesn't know how to pump gas because in New Jersey, of you course don't. not. And I so mean, when we're out here, she's like, "Can you pump my gas?" I go, it's Come scary. On. You gotta learn. She goes, "But it's so gross." I'm like, "I'll pump your gas." So I still at times I'll go with her. You pump go, gas. I I'll... can pump my own gas, but I will tell you that I get scared driving in weather. I I can handle rain now because we get rain out here, but I have truly never really driven in snow because I got my license when I came out here, the age of 29. Hello, wow, I mean that's, that's like so, so pathetic, <laughs> and I got it by by going. Taggarts would pick me up, you know, Taggarts, the driving school or whatever. They would pick me up at the soap on my lunch hour. So they would come to the um, 60, the, the Lincoln Center area. And I mean, anybody who doesn't know the Lincoln Center area in New York, that is not a place to learn how to drive because right. it is just insane <laughs> with cabs and buses and people. And the guy would put me in his car and he would say, OK, normally you would have the right of way here, but don't take it. Otherwise, that bus is going to hit you. And other times you would say, all right, you don't have the right of way here, but take it anyway, or that cab's going to smash into you. So by the time that I, <laughs> I mean, I got my license, but I really wasn't sure what exactly the rules of the road were. And when I got out here, I stayed at Barham Boulevard, um, Oakwood Apartments, you know, when I first got I drive, here. I, I love Burbank. <laughs> I drive by them all the time and I always go, man, because I've heard stories like, you know, you can be hanging out and there'll be like these child actors and then dudes are in a band and it's just like oh, yeah. such a diverse thing by the pool. Divorce yeah. guys. I mean, it's just this no, crazy. Seriously, they should do a, a series or a Merrill, Melrose Place or whatever has nothing on that. Or maybe it was fashioned after. I don't know. I mean, it was like a cuckoo place, but they have a rent-a-car place right underneath. And I rented this car and I, I proceeded to just have my, what I called my high school years. I just smash into everything. I mean, I just smash into absolutely everything because I also have no sense of direction. So, you know, here you are out in the valley and I couldn't tell north, west, south, you know, trying. I loved valet parking. I just sort of was so happy to get out of my car and say, here, just take it. Um, so that was my, that was the biggest obstacle to moving out here was learning how to drive. Uh, well, when you moved out, you started yeah, working. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you played, uh, uh, Simpson, Nicole Brown Simpson. Oh, um, yes. Which is Well, crazy. the first thing that brought me out here was I did a movie called um, Mr. Right with Paul Reiser. Okay. That was that was the first, that was sort of a small um, independent film, and Paul Reiser did that the summer before his series, um, Mad, About, Mad About, you. About You, got picked up. So that was what sort of brought me out, and then I thought, hmm, I should stay. And then, yeah, then I did sort of a bunch of different guest spots. And, and you were in a movie that I actually like because I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and it's the garbage-kicking, oh. field-goal-kicking yeah, Philadelphia Eagle. I still remember Tony Danza. Tony I still, Danza. I still remember that movie. I, yeah. I saw that. When I saw it on your list, I went, oh, my God, that's great. Yeah, that's good that you got the name, too. It was something. What was it again? It was the, the garbage-kicking, garbage field-goal-kicking field Philadelphia, Philadelphia phenomenon. Phenomenon, <laughs> phenomenon yeah. <laughs> and he was lovely. I mean, Tony Danza is was a great guy, and he was really fun to work with. Uh, so you're doing the movies, and then yeah. you get TV sports, and then you yeah. get on China Beach. No, not China Beach. Uh, I didn't do China. Uh, oh, I, you know I mean, what you thought? Um, Sunset Beach. Sunset Beach, yes. Sunset Beach. China so, Beach would have been nice, but no, it was Sunset Beach. That other soap. Yeah, and I played a cuckoo. Person. Did you like playing a cuckoo? Yeah, and you know what's odd is I tend to play, um, I mean, she was certifiably a cuckoo. Like, 
even to look at. She was slightly cuckoo. But now I always seem to play these very sophisticated um, women who are the killers or the ex-wives who are really angry. I mean, I uh, or, you know, like Nan Flanagan's on True Bloods that are vampires and kill people or grim. You know, I, mean, I always seem to be the murderer. Um, and I'm not sure why, because as you can see, I'm a very nice You're, person. I would I would never take you as a murderer <laughs> you know, until I turn people. And if you hear the show end a few minutes early, exactly. I'm, I'm dead. With a bunch That's, of I'm screams. Dead. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, yes. So a lot of murderers and villains. and. So as you were acting, you know, getting the guest spots, were you somewhat missing the soap opera? Because I know then you ended up getting on Judging Amy. Right. But now were you, you were doing a lot of guest spots and you were working, which yes. is great. But coming from, as you said, the soap opera, which is almost like a family, was it was it sort of a, a, not an odd feeling, but just something that you had to get used to because you, as I said, you were working, and that's, right? But you were doing a lot of guest stars on shows, yeah. And it must be it must be almost like beginning again because you were so used to that one atmosphere. But the good thing is the way you're beginning again, you're working. It's not like you're right. it's not like you're yeah, yeah. sitting there going. I mean, what you was know, that I like? Didn't, well, you know, I didn't have any preconceived notions that I was going to come out here and be some big star and just walk on. A, a series, you know, I, I recognized that I would be sort of starting again because I had no traction in nighttime television at all. I, you know, I, I, I had some experience behind the camera because I had done three and a half years on a soap. Um, and that's what I came out with, like that experience and the hunger to get more experience. And nighttime is pretty different than daytime. Uh, and in more ways, than one. I mean, the the scary thing of, about coming out and doing one guest spot on lots of different shows is you have to try and figure out the rhythm of each set every time you're there. And I always felt like when I finally sort of figured out the rhythm of the set, the guest spot was over and my job was done and I was moving on. Um, and constantly having to get work as opposed to having a steady job. It very you know, it made me appreciate very much what I had on One Life to Live, which I had appreciated anyway. I really, I did not leave because I was unhappy. I left because, I know this sounds weird, but I left because I was so happy and comfortable, but I knew that at some point I I would want to make a leap and it was important to make that leap. So I, I, I did probably one of the bravest things I've done in my career, which was to leave something you know, when I felt like I had a tiny bit of momentum to then sort of jump up to the next level. And um, yeah, it was it was scary and it was different and it was lonely. You know, my whole family is back east and um, I'm a very kind of touchy feely person in the sense that I like to like see people and talk to them and, you know, grab their shoulders. And um, and it's a different vibe out here. You know, L.A. is everybody's in their car and they're much more isolated and uh it's harder to get around. I found, you know, I couldn't just sort of jump on the subway and. That's so true because even like we live in Burbank, sometimes if we go down to Hollywood Boulevard to the Pantages, yeah, we'll take the subway. But we have to still get in our car and drive to North Hollywood, which is almost the same distance to Hollywood, but it's just a lot more convenient. But you're right. If there was a subway train in Burbank, I'd be taking it all, all the, the time. time. Right. I mean, and and not only that, you're on the subway and you meet everybody, everybody from all sorts of different fields of life and different generations and I mean it's just such a mishmash of people and I and I love that I mean I really love and miss that to this day about New York just sort of the immersive nature of of the community you know just how connected everybody is uh, for good and for bad I mean back then you know there wasn't the air conditioning on subways that there is now and I gotta tell you it was kind of a drag sometimes to be squished up against some sweaty person but it also kept you in touch with humanity and I know that may sound a little odd but you know I feel like it's really important to stay in touch with your neighbors um, you know circling on out your immediate neighbors all the way out it's just really important and I really missed that I noticed that most of all when I first came out here you know, that aside from the work being different. But I was young and adventuresome and I didn't have, you know, I, I wasn't dating anybody. I didn't have any children. Um, I, I could, you know, eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I had sort of saved money like a little chipmunk when I was on the soap. So I was smart that way. And I was able to, you know, pay my rent even when I was looking for work and, and didn't always have it for periods of time. And, um, it's just made me uh, very, very, very grateful uh, to, to always get work. I, I really understand 
how lucky I am every time I get a job. I mean, I, I just, when I booked on, uh, recently in NCIS um, New Orleans, you know, I said to my agent, yay, oh my God, I'm so excited. And he started laughing on his end. And I said, why are you laughing, Ethan? He said, I don't know, you just sound so excited. And I said, well, of course I'm excited. I'm excited I got a job. And I mean, literally, I'm, you know, I'm not making this up. I mean, I jump up and down and high five with my husband and my my daughter every time I get a job because I just know, I know the numbers. Um, and, you know, when especially when you become a woman of a certain age, you're just so lucky to get work. And I think I felt that way from the very beginning. Um, even after leaving One Life to Live, I knew that I would be lucky every single time I got work. Well, then you, when you got Judging Amy, that must have been great because you were, you know, it was finally you got a series. Yes. And and it's as it's sort of like back to. Yes. And it, the, and the, that the, was the, another great family atmosphere. Because I just had a Jillian Armanante was on a few oh, weeks ago. Oh, Jillian. That was, yeah. And she was talking about it. It was just great because she said Amy Brenneman was great. And it was just yes. a, it was a great atmosphere. And that must have also been great because back then there wasn't women carrying series. Exactly. And it yeah. must have been great to be part of that just mm-hmm. for also because you were also, it was more of a women ensemble. I mean, it's like, you think yes. how different Hollywood changed. I had Scott Lowell on a few weeks ago and he talked about when he got Queer as Folk and it was like, back then, there wasn't gay men in series. Back then, there wasn't a lot of women carrying series. So that must have been great as, as you know, an actor to sit there and go, you know what, I'm I'm a part of something where it's a title called Judging Amy. Judging it's, Amy, It's not yeah. like Bill's a lawyer with his partner, Teresa. You know, it must have been great for you to be part of something like that. It was amazing. Amy Brenneman, and there was Tyne Daly as well, who was just amazing to watch. I really learned a lot from her. And I learned a lot from watching Amy navigate, not only being sort of the star of the show, but, you know, she was a producer and was very much involved in a lot of the the inner workings of the show. And she also had two kids while she was on that show. And I, I had my daughter while I was on Judging Amy. And so she was sort of an example in so many different ways, how to be a working mother, how to be, you know, just, which is also really hard in this, in this industry. It's, it's very hard to feel like you can be, you know, a successful actress and a successful mother and partner. I mean, it's, it's a complicated juggle and Amy really set an amazing tone. And that set was wonderful because everyone was of, of a certain age that they really appreciated having work, and they appreciated each other. And our conversations in the trailer would be, even though you're not supposed to talk about politics and all the rest of it, you know, they would be on set. You you know, you're supposed to sign this thing, which I always forget that you're not supposed to talk about. But there's about. something you can't talk about in politics on set? You're not, you shouldn't be, you're not supposed to talk about politics or sex or some, uh, you know, there's a few other things just because it can get sticky. Okay. You know, and you just don't want to, you're not supposed to bring that. I didn't know that until, until um, the second election. We were actually, I was on set when Bush won for the second time, or it was, we weren't sure whether Gore had, we, you know, like it, we went back and forth there for a while and we were, and, but we weren't supposed to be sort of rooting for one side or the other, just because you don't bring politics to work, um, which is a tricky thing to do. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, totally. Um, and, but it's a tricky thing not to do too, right? I mean, you want to talk about it, but what, all this is to say that there were intelligent conversations going on at all times about real life and not like oh you know is my does my makeup look good and fix my hair and i don't like my wardrobe it wasn't about that it was about really substantive stuff and people took the work seriously and had really great conversations about what would make the work uh better and make sense and the and the storylines flow i mean i just felt like it was a very grown-up mature um atmosphere uh, and that is not to say that we didn't have fun and frolic and get ourselves into trouble because also I've never laughed so hard as when we did family scenes all around the table. I mean, I think they stopped having them in the later seasons because it took so long to film these dinner scenes. You know, we would all be like laughing and doing silly things. So, um, yeah, very grateful for that job. And that one was as close to the one life to live job as I'd ever as I'd ever had. Now, when it ended, does that get you sad? Because, I mean... It was devastating. I mean, well, luckily for you, you've been in two experiences like that where yeah. you've gotten to feel the family. I mean, you know, that's... You know, you hear so many times that people, they don't, you know, series, they think it's going to go great and then after season, it gets canceled. Right. But when you get there, I mean, was it... was? I mean, why were you devastated just because it was such well, a Well, you know, what time? was devastated about it was like we were heading in... I think we'd ha- we did six seasons and we were expecting our seventh. I mean, like, 
we didn't have that plug pulled on us until literally like at the upfronts or whatever. I mean, like it was almost like a slam dunk that we were going to get our seventh season. And then the plug was pulled very abruptly. And so we didn't actually even get to complete the judging Amy story. Had we known that we were in our last season, I think the characters would have had some kind more of a resolve anyway. And we as a cast and crew could have sort of said goodbye to each other in some way. Um, and look, it's a champagne problem to get six seasons and then have it be canceled. But, you know, it was sad not to be able to say goodbye, um, quite literally, because we just sort of left at the end of the season. Everyone went on hiatus. I actually went with my husband and daughter to South Africa, which is where my husband's from, to visit his family. And we came back as we were coming back from South Africa, we passed through New York and we ran into somebody that had been at the upfronts. And I said to them, Hey, how's it going? So uh, you were at the upfronts. And they're like, yeah. And they're like, I'm sorry. And I'm like, about what? And they said that judging Amy got canceled. And I laughed because I thought they were joking. So, yeah, Cause I guess, cause there wasn't, as I said, it wasn't a big internet thing then either. So you no. wouldn't really have an idea. And it wasn't no. like cell phones were just everywhere. No, not at all. Wow. And I was like, what? And they're like, no, judging Amy didn't get picked up. And I was like, are you serious? And they're like, yeah. And I just remember riding, being on the plane from New York, because we had flown from South Africa to New York and then New York to LA. And the entire time from New York to LA, just like in shock and trying to sort of reconfigure my, my life because I had been sort of planning to start up on the show in a month. And now... Okay, I guess on you know again champagne problem have a job for six years and then lose it, but still just kind of like the bandaid ripped off and gone. Especially when it's out of nowhere. I mean, it's it was true. out of nowhere. And you sit there and you're right. You sit. It's like anything in life. You know, you're used to something and if it's gone, and you're like, wait, you know, it's like if you go to a bar you like for years yeah. and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you hear the bars closing. You're like, what? And then you find out it's already closed. It's the it's same like, thing. Huh? It's like, I can't go see the people because you're not going to, I mean, you'll run into them, but it's not like you're going to run into them because no. everyone goes, you know, the crew goes, okay, well, there's another show coming on. We're going to go to this show. You know, right. the creator takes the crew. So, I mean, so yeah, it must have just really been blindsided. I mean, and you really got blindsided. Totally blindsided. I mean, like really blindsided. I mean, I was completely in shock. And in fact, we had, we tried to have like a little sort of cast and mini cast and crew sort of get together just to kind of sort of hold hands and say, oh, this is so sad and goodbye. Um, I mean, you know, you spend six years with these people and truly you spend more time on set at times than you do at home. I mean, we had, I think we used to joke, don't drink the Jamie, the judging Amy water, because I think we had 70 babies in the six years on the show were born. Um, people had all the cast and crew, everybody was having their families. I mean, people really, so much happened to all of us together. A lot of us lost. I lost my father um, during that time. Um, several other people did too. And you know, we supported each other through it. And so more than anything, I just wanted to be able to like look someone in the eye and say, thank you for being such an amazing person in my life for the last six years, you know, that, and thank you for all the work you've put into this. And and there are people that you're not going to see again. I mean, there were guards that worked, you know, you drive onto the lot or, you know, just people that you would see that you wouldn't necessarily see again, that it would have been nice to have a moment to just say thank you um, and acknowledge in some, in some way. So, I mean, again, champagne problems, but um, definitely that was, that was sad. Although Amy is still very much a part of my life. You know, I love her and, and I see her and we communicate and, and there've been a lot of great things that have come out of that show. And bizarrely, although I didn't get to actually connect with them because we didn't shoot on the same days, that CSI cyber that you're talking about, um, uh, uh Oh no, 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 no. Giamatti. Uh, um, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, for God's sake. Paul Giamatti's brother. No, yeah, Marcus. Marcus. Um, see, this is where my menopause brain comes in. Marcus and I played husband and wife on Judging Amy, and he was on that same CSI cyber episode as me, and I saw him on the cast list, and I emailed him, oh, my God, are we going to get to play? And I hadn't read the whole script yet, so I hadn't seen that we actually never... Right. Well, that was funny when I saw it, when I saw the name in the credits, Giamatti, and then yeah. Joanne goes, God, this guy looks familiar. I go, yeah, because he's Paul Giamatti's brother. I know, but I feel so sad when that's how people no, but describe I, Marcus, because yeah. I have to tell you, he's so genius. Marcus Giamatti is like, it's just, it's hard. 
I think, to be known as Paul Giamatti's brother. You know, so I just want to say Marcus, Marcus, Marcus right. Giamatti. Um, and his, his father was the uh, commissioner of baseball. Baseball. So that's awesome. And was actually president of Yale uh, yeah, when so I was there. He's so, got, some, he's got yeah. some big, I mean, he's like. He's, and big. you know, and he is, he is a force to reckon with in his own right. Sure. I mean, Marcus is so smart and funny and a beautiful bass player and has a band and, and now three gorgeous little girls and a wonderful wife. So um, I, I'm very fond of him. I mean, I don't come across, we don't connect much at all anymore just because of our lives um but i just think he's a special person so it was fun to share an episode of csi whether or not we actually Got collided it. yeah you're in the credits that's yeah. it that's counts yeah so you know after after chasing uh i mean i'm saying chasing amy judging amy you're 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 still as i said you you constantly work you're getting parts you know you you you're con- i mean you look at your resume i mean you've been on like every show I mean, like, well, thank god I'm, for episodics right that's yeah, how i, I yeah, stay it's, alive it's every show but then then uh then uh True Blood comes along. Yeah. Now, now that must have been once again a crowd like a soap opera crowd. Yeah. A very thing. Now, how did that come apart? And, and you, that was I'm so I felt so lucky about that. You know, Nan Flanagan was just supposed to be a couple of episodes. Uh, she appears in the pilot, um, and then there was supposed to be one other episode. But then they wrote a little bit more for her, and so I did a few more episodes. And then what started off as like two or three episodes turns into four years. And in the last year, I was actually a season regular. And it's because they found this other side of her that then was kind of delicious. Like, you know, this, you know, she was the vampire spokesperson. And so she has this very sort of newscastery presence. But then there's this other side of her that's like this, you know, Am I allowed to swear here? Can I say Biachi? Um, yeah, Biachi. Oh, okay. <laughs> she, said she was a Biachi vampire. She was not a bitchy vampire. Yeah, she was a Biachi, Biachi vampire. vampire. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I have to be careful. I never know when I'm allowed to use my foul mouth. But what I loved about her is that then there was this whole other side of her that was, you know, very much in contrast to the what you saw on the, you know, on screen. Um, and the writers just sort of found a life for that character. And so it turned into much more than it had originally been planned um that that was really really fun and i never really get to dress up in black leather and you know i mean she was just so bad so deliciously bad um did you bite people i did actually one of the first times i had to bite somebody um that i got my fangs (laughs) i was so excited about my fangs was there i was in a limo um and i um bite this playboy bunny between the legs um, but she's naked and, you know, I'm like, I'm like such a, like, I mean, I just, you know, I was sitting there talking to this young woman and I was like, now don't worry, they'll close the set. And really they'll only have a certain amount of people there at the time. The only people that are necessary. And you let me know, like whatever makes you feel comfortable. I mean, I was sweating more than she was sweating about the whole thing. And it made me laugh because sort of right before we start shooting, I mean, I've gone through this whole thing of like, don't worry, I'll take care of you. And she like licks her fingers and kind of stimulates her nipples because you know, to like perk them up. And I just thought, oh my God, like she so doesn't need me at all. She is not nervous at all about this. I'm the one that's nervous about like, you know, throwing my face down between her legs and, you know, welcome to my prudishness. I mean, thank God, thank God. These days people are expected to sort of take off their clothes and prance around naked as a matter of course. And, you know, back when I started, when NIP, NYPD Blue showed a butt that was like Dennis oh ass. my god. god you know and I remember I, I played a rape victim on NYPD Blue and I had to show a butt cheek and I was like oh my god I have to show my butt cheek I mean that is nothing so thank god I'm too old right now for anybody to want me to take my clothes off although I have to tell you Alan Ball if you, anybody watched uh, True Blood and they saw those like orgy scenes he had everybody take off their clothes, you know, old, young, slim, larger. I mean, it was like there was nobody was safe. So, but thank God, um, Nan Flanagan did not have to partake. Now, what kind of fans did you get from that? Because vampire fans are not, you yeah, know, they're a little bit different. You must have had they, some encounters with some people that you're like, like you probably had some people that you never thought you would talk to, recognizing yeah, you. But you see. This is what I love, Steve. I mean, I to me, I'm a I, I love discovering nooks and crannies of humanity. So it's thrilling to me when someone comes up and says that they love Nan Flanagan and it's somebody that I would never imagine would pay me the time of day. Um, and also to talk about what they found was interesting about the character and you know that whole sci-fi. I mean, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. That sort of those fans. I mean, you think soap fans are 
crazy and devoted. I mean, that's like a, a whole other world that is pretty amazing. Um, and it's kind of fun. You know, then I did Grimm. I did a couple of episodes of Grimm and I was a hexen beast and I got to turn into this craziness and people were crazy about that. And so it, it kind of tapped me into a whole new world, which I love. Does anyone actually think you're a vampire? Like, you know, like has that ever um, happened? Like, like they thought you had lupus. Now, yeah, they, no, no. No think... one's actually thought I was a vampire. Well, you never but, know. You never you, know these you, days. You don't. And they didn't. I, I so badly wanted to take my teeth, my vampire fangs with me, but they wouldn't let me have Because they fit them specifically for your mouth. So I thought, well, who else are they going to give them to? But I guess they hang on to them just in case. Uh, so I, I didn't get them because those would have been good for, you know, some scary Halloween things how do you actually do, how did you do you do the biting i mean i mean do you sit there do you actually bite them or it's just... well you know i you know before i actually understood how the fangs worked i thought that you had these fabulous things that then click down like they do on camera but um truly the way you shoot the scene is you shoot the whole scene without fangs um and you do all the movements as if you had the fangs in your teeth and then you shoot it all again with the fangs in your teeth and then they just do some fancy editing um, you do have to do this um, thing where you kind of open your mouth and bare your teeth as if you are clicking them down um, and you do it without the fangs and then you put them in and do it again with the fangs and then they do this fancy thing where it looks like they slip down. So it's not as it's not as cool in person uh, it's still uh, and it's really hard to talk with them in because they're poking you in the lip and you're not quite sure what to do with them. So you get a little bit, you know, slurry and sloppy at the beginning until you learn to talk with your fangs. Well, you're doing all this and then you said then you went back to the soap opera. Did they call you and say, hey, I mean, how's that work? Because it's like, that's one thing about being in a soap opera. Yeah. Anything can happen. Like days of our lives, like they come back as one person yeah. and then they come back and wait. Oh, Roman Brady is now John Black, who is John whatever, right. and yeah. and, it, and it makes it well. He fell into a volcano and he he got up. So how did how did they actually get you back? And what was the backstory? Like you were came back as a ghost? Yes. Well, I would come back in people's fantasies. Like people would have a fantasy about, um, or a, not necessarily a fantasy, but uh, sorry. <laughs> let me let me rephrase that. It was um, uh, a dream. You know, I would come back in a dream, and that's easy. I come back in a dream, and so it's like a dream sequence, which they do all the time on on soap operas. And then I would sometimes I'd come back as a, an angel. I came back as an angel. So they, it would be like, you know, up in heaven. I mean, you know, they, they, they stretch the imagination here. Um, anyway, I, soap opera fans are so willing to accept things. Uh, there are times when you'll see on soaps, they'll say, and today the character of, you know, Betty is going to be played by so-and-so. And then in walks somebody that, you know, looks somewhat like the person that used to play, <laughs> but, not, but not really. Like, for instance, Vicky, um, who was the matriarch of the show, she had 42 children. Not to say that she had 42 different children. She had, you know, three kids that were played by just a gajillion different people. And, you know, so <laughs> sometimes you'd see a young kid, like every once in a while I would tune in just to catch up on what my friends were doing. And I think to myself, Oh, is that the new Joey? I don't know. Like, I can't tell. Like, I have to wait and see. So people are, they're they are pretty good at accepting things. I mean, just as recently as last year, I was asked if I would come in. There was a, a woman on, on Young and the Restless who, um, and I'm now, because again, I have no brain these days, forgetting the name of the actress, who had been sick. And it didn't look like, and they sort of tap danced around trying to, you know, fill her, you know, shoot around her but now it was getting to the point where they really needed to start shooting her scenes and they said to me would I come in and do two or three episodes and I looked at this I, I hadn't been familiar with the show and I started looking I thought oh my god this is like stepping in and playing Vicky you know it's like <laughs> this is a big deal I thought how am I going to do this and thank god I mean I said of course I said yes because it was a crazy sort of fun challenge and they were all so nice and I thought come on, this would be great. It'd be sort of kitschy and fabulous to do. At the last minute, whew, she got well enough to come back. So I, I did not end up having to fill in. But they would have done, I don't even know if they would have said, you know, and today the part of so-and-so is going to be played by Jessica Tuck. I think they would have just slapped me in in her clothes and just sort of expected people to to deal, stretch their imagination. We have a few minutes left. Oh, sorry. No, no, it's fine. I just want to tell you. So you know, well, you're I'm so, a yacker. Can no, you no, know? that's fine. It makes it easy for me. I love it. It's good. Now I'm looking through that. Now you were just on, as I said, uh, CSI Cyber. Cyber. That was last. Uh, well, 
couple of nights ago. We know. recorded it. I don't know. Yeah. As I said, she she said, "Can I watch something?" I said, "I got work to do." Because yeah. we don't watch. We watch a lot of the same shows, but somebody don't. You, it's impossible to watch yeah. everything. And I'm like, and, you know, she watch. She loves NCIS. I don't watch it. I don't. You know. I mean, there's certain shows. Now, what else is coming up? Now, did you shoot a pilot recently? Or? Pilot, a Snowfall, which is a, a pilot that John Singleton um, directed that I think is going to be really fantastic. We, I mean, it's right now it's just a pilot, so we'll see. Um, and I'm heading to Atlanta to shoot Sleepy Hollow. And um, I just did an NCIS New Orleans did they so, shoot that in New Orleans? They shot that in New Orleans, yeah. So you must so, like that. That must be fun to go down and shoot. You know shoot. what? It was fun. It was fun. It's it's nice to go. I um I loved the French Quarter, checking it all out, and um the we shot in some of the most amazing houses. I mean, I, just the architecture there is unbelievable. It's just it's crazy beautiful. Um, and I will say, I love my husband, but I got this big, huge king size bed with no snoring and room service and that was kind of nice yeah like that and then yeah. how now, have you shot in atlanta before i have yes i've shot um diva uh, uh drop dead divas drop dead divas that's atlanta right I, I think i think so yeah and then baton rouge i shot um breakout kings and i've actually you know i really like that show breakout kings it was an interesting i was bummed when it got canceled yeah, i really enjoyed it that one i know things come and go so fast sometimes i mean this is one of the reasons thank god i continue to work is that when shows come in, you know, it's like another opportunity to do a guest spot or something. So I'm forever grateful for all the different networks and, and the shows that come and go. Now, when will you find out if the pilot gets picked up? Do you have any idea? You know, I don't know. Maybe I think someone said they would start shooting in January. Um, and my character, there's no guarantee that she will continue, but she's the mother of one of the main characters. And when I auditioned for the pilot, they had an audition with all of this material that we did not do in the pilot, which sort of said to me that this would be material that they would do later on and they wanted to see whether we could handle it. So that's me, sort of, as my daughter says, manifesting. Now, um, do you still audition or do, do Oh my God, yes. Or do you get calls, I mean, for spot or? Once in a blue moon, I get an offer, which like for instance, you know, um, Sleepy Hollow is an offer and it's so much, I mean, it's, I'm like, oh my God, yay. <laughs> um, because otherwise, absolutely, I'm, I go out there and I, I'm, I'm amazed at the people that I see in the waiting room with me. Um, and I think, wow, if they're auditioning, like, I, I, I just can't believe, especially for women, it's not easy. You know, it's, it's, it's not because people want to work. They, they can have, you know, everybody has to, a lot of people have to audition. Any, uh, think you'll go back to the soap opera at all again? You think they'll call you back from the dead? Who knows? Never say never. Of course, um, unfortunately, One Life to Live is dead. It's not oh, even yeah. on oh. anymore. So that's that. I don't even know that there are that many soap operas that are Isn't that still, crazy? which is crazy for me to think because I just thought, you know, that that would just, they would go on forever. Absolutely. I love working and I love, and you know, in whatever form it comes, I'm really grateful. And it's what a great way to make a living to dress up and play and have a good time with people. Well, I want to thank you for coming on. I'm so happy to have been now, here. Now, thank now, you. Do you tweet? Oh, I have a Twitter account. I do. And it's at Jess Tuck. Jess Tuck. Okay. Well, you, uh, how, you don't tweet though. I do tweet. I usually tweet like if I'm on something I try and live tweet into this stuff. I am I am not as good as I should be. I'm a bit of a dinosaur, but I'm trying to get better. I really am. Tweeting. I'm going to start, start tweeting. tweeting. Okay, people, I'm start people tweeting. love that. You got to tweet. Okay, I'm going to tweet. And I'm you tweet. think it's at Jess Tuck? Isn't that terrible? But it's no, at you, Jess Tuck. Well, I, I'm pretty and, sure, and but just, I don't get. I haven't gotten one of those checks by my name yet to that's, say that that's, that's who I am. You What's have. that about? I know that's. I I know people. I'm like I saw someone the other day. How does that person have a check? I have a check, so I don't have a check. So everybody like. Friend me or whatever you're supposed and to do. So and, and follow. And, and follow. So, uh, <laughs> and just and type in, type in, if you can't find at Jess Tuck, just type in Jessica Tuck and then it will show it to us. It'll show I think it's at Jess Tuck. And now you, you have a website? You have a website. Um, no, but you know, sparkoffrose.com is a storytelling event that I have been producing and directing for the last 15 years. That's fantastic. It's people telling true stories about their lives based on a given theme. And if you go to that site, you can find me there as Spark well. Rose. Sparkoffrose.com. And go to that, people. So go out and check it out and follow her on Twitter. Also follow me on Twitter at CooperTalk. That's at CooperTalk. Uh, go to my website, CooperTalk.net, where I have, uh, God, 435 episodes up. I always post. I'm posting like three a week, so you can go check it out. You can get it on iTunes or Stitcher. Just type in one word, CooperTalk. If you have a Google uh, Play Store for your Android product. There is a Cooper Talk app. It's free. Do that. Um, send me an email, Cooper at CooperTalk.net. I probably said that already. Follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk and go to StopTheSalt.com. That's my uh, cookbook. When I got out of the hospital, I changed my diet. It's a low sodium cooking book for one, 120 recipes. No pictures to intimidate you. 
No long list of ingredients. You don't need the ingredients. If you don't have cumin, don't worry. I didn't put cumin in. These are easy recipes for one. You can get it at Amazon or you can get it on Barnes & Noble or you can get it at my website where I make more money. So it's all about me making money. And then I will sign it for you. So go to that stopassault.com and follow me at Cooper Talk. And you follow Jess Tuck at Jess Tuck. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I will talk to you guys next week.